We're joined by Rufus Hound. This is uh, Utter Shambles uh, with Josie Long. Uh, Hello. As well, and Robin Lynch. And uh, Rufus Hound, who is, uh, of course... Uh, An actor. Uh, house husband, father, <laughs> actor and mum. Uh, and uh, we'll talk about, we're going to talk about stand-up in a while because I know that in an interview you said stand-up was really easy and you couldn't be bothered to do it anymore. Yeah, that's right. I know that's not what you said. <laughs> and uh, wow. that, that's what you reported as saying in one of those ways that you immediately look at an article and go, that's not what he said. Yes, um, that's the opposite of something <laughs> it sounds like he might have uttered. So you're... Um, uh, so I'll start just in terms of being a facetious comedian mm. now doing serious acting yes well uh, semi-serious we're yeah. still serious it's isn't it? even if it's comedy it's a serious thing to yeah do. no and theatrical acting as well i would say i mean i've i made this movie last year and uh i've made a kids tv show and what's things. the movie about please uh, it's called the wedding video it's an, a british romantic comedy made by nigel cole the maker of calendar girls and made in dagenham that's exciting when does it come out please uh, august the 17th that's very exciting. You've done about three British films, haven't you? I did uh, Big Fat Gypsy Gangster. I did. Uh, what is Big Fat Gypsy Gangster? Ricky Grover, Buller. What? Yeah, he made a movie. Did he? Yeah. Oh, I don't know anything about anything. Sorry. Well, you're you're well, no, you're... it's not. I mean, it wasn't. It didn't get the palm door in the end. But <laughs> no. what I mean is that you may have missed it. There's loads of films that yeah. come out. I think about but that. It had quite even a big... just looking at iTunes, and I'm no, like, it had a big... they were in a film together about a giant baby. How did <laughs> yeah. I not notice that? Have, have you, you ever seen, seen the baby? <laughs> um. No. Have you ever seen the baby? It's no. brilliant. What's it about? It's uh, a Ted Post, I think. He went on to direct uh, Magnum Force, and uh, it's uh, about a man who's a big baby, and uh, it's it's a really creepy thriller. His Ooh. whole family keep him as a big, big baby. Ooh. I won't reveal the ending, but the ending is terrifying. They won't let him grow up into a man. Well, he's he's there's something that's happened to him. Which has meant that he's kind of become infantilized, and he's there just this bloke in a big nappy. You know those kind of nineteen seventies films that really wouldn't now get made in Hollywood. Yes. That right? There's a weird, creepy family. <laughs> he's a big baby. Shit happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a couple of million. That's all right. Um, that's kind of hello. I'm Robert Altman. Get out. I'm afraid this is this is the new the twenty first century. Oh, that's a bit unfair. You needed in the seventies, but it's um no. So you did Big Fat Gypsy Wedding, which had a huge cast of uh, comedians and and kind of celebrities and stuff, didn't it? Well, yeah, to an extent. It was basically people that Ricky Grover could get hold of. So, Talisa from N-Dubs is in it. Can I please say, I watched... Uh, you know Talisa had a sex tape? Do you know who Talisa is, mm-hmm. Robin? Right. 43. She is from N-Dubs, right. or if you like to pronounce it, N-Dubs, mm-hmm. which is better, N-Dubs. Right, and Talisa Wright. Although was... I think she has gone solo now. Oh. So no, I'm just thinking of you for the emails that come pouring she in. Was, from she was. She was in enormous N Dubs. But I did say she was in N Dubs. Yes. she was in N Dubs. Right, and then a sex tape came out. Right, of her age 17, uh, go filleting her then boyfriend. Her then boyfriend was the one who released it. Right, so then I watched uh, this video of her talking about it, and she was so brilliant. I was so amazed. I was like, what a brave woman to come out. She'd been so humiliated by someone, absolutely vindictively. And she just came out and she was really like, this isn't my fault. This was a very intimate thing and he's done this to me. This is the person who's done this to me. You know, I'm really sad. And But she was so cool about it that I was like, I have no intention of supporting you financially through any purchase of your music or watching any of your TV shows, but I want you to know that I love you and I respect you very much. <laughs> incredible. Isn't one of the rules now of, of sex generally to tell your partner to put the phone down? Yeah. And yeah, because that does seem to be that that's really what, what's happened, isn't it? Well, I think probably not. Most people just that one guy. If yeah. you sleep with that guy, yeah. you'll film it. 
But he does everyone. I realise increasingly we live our lives making policies to protect ourselves from douchebags. And the thing about mm. douchebags is that they will always find a way. Yeah, that's true. Like, you just have to accept a douchebag element. That's the world. There is, you know, you, you can't... you. For all of the couples that have got videos of themselves doing things to people they love, to watching quiet moments, and I would imagine that is probably, in this day and age, the majority. Really? I mean, is it not? You're both looking at me like... I like how we're both like... Well, I, I suppose, I mean, some people must have <laughs> of that nature. I no, but I, I don't mean that no, you're no. showing them to anybody. It's like, it's a saucy thing that people do because we all have phones and cameras on us permanently. You know, it's it doesn't seem to me that's like... It's, it's not like a vibrators. sordid or weird thing to do. Vibrators, like, 30 years ago, people just were like, oh, my God, what sort of a harlot must you be to even consider that sort of thing? And now, Very you mainstream. Know, people, if you... Yeah, exactly. If you haven't got a selection, people go, you're a bit weird. Yeah, but you see, yeah. I think they've become overly mainstream. It's now now this kind of... Because I, I think I told this story about... Uh, you didn't do the Brooks sex charity, did you? Uh, no, I think, no. Uh, it wasn't us I having sex with Brooke, the way I'm giving it to Brooke Charity. And but if Brooke Shields is listening, you may want to lawyer up now. <laughs> if you don't have uh, five dildos and various other things, then you go, oh, you're a bit of a prude. Right. You know, what do you spend your money on, apart yeah. from vibrating devices? Um, and I did this thing for the Brooke Charity, which is uh, kind of um, for sex education of teenagers and stuff like that. And uh, They're very good. And, and, yeah, from what I can gather, they, they do a good job. And, uh, and they've got these huge baskets. You know when you do a benefit, you get a big basket of stuff. Did you get a basket now, of sex toys? Well, this is, yeah. I, I noticed, <laughs> I recognised from hilarious. a picture I'd seen oh, of a, a, a plug, basically. Right. And, and I thought, 13 well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well uh, no, it was very much a singular socket plug. And, um, <laughs> and The I th- Brook Advisory Service sent you a plug. Didn't send it. I carried it home, hoping I wouldn't die of a heart attack. Imagine there may well be chocolates further down or something of use to me. And that was the thing. So, so this big, there was this big basket, and I thought, oh, did, well, well. And I genuinely did think maybe there might be something inside there that's, that's good. You know, maybe they've got a sapphire and steel DVD in yeah. there, little chocolate, something like that. Yeah, and uh, nodding so I took Richard it home. Feynman bobblehead. Yeah, something like that. Richard yeah. Feynman bobblehead. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> uh, and um, and you the take uh, the head off and then. <laughs> The, that was a terror. I, I liked your sound effect to the smacking lips of mime. I really didn't like that. Take the head off and the because that, yeah. that, that suggests so many things that are going wrong in the relationship early on, physically and mentally. Um, so, it, so I took it back and I said, "Well, I've got this thing." My wife went, "Oh, what on earth?" And uh, it's not really the kind of thing that, that we make use of. And then we thought we were we were stuck with this problem. We went, what do we do with it now? Mm. Because. Uh, you live First, in a small village. Well, it's, it's a big enough town, but, <laughs> right, most of the things that we don't use get donated to the charity shop. Yeah. Now, I think of all our charity shops. Now, there's the hospice one, which I think would be more inviting to that. I think Oxfam, no. And then you think, well, you can't because it's electrical goods. And a lot of them don't take electrical goods. But if, if, if they've not been opened, will they not take them? Well, I just felt it would be a weird thing. Yeah. Also, it's like they've well, never on, added. No. They've never. Robin, I, I'm sorry. I just hear you frantically backtracking after the implication is that they had been opened. No, no, no. They hadn't been opened. They they were totally sealed. They yeah, were no, full, no, fully. What I'm saying is, if you're you, that is what you would say. Yeah. But what I'm <laughs> saying is, opened or unopened, like, nobody's going to buy them. There are in Soho and in, in in other areas of towns around the place. There are places which have old books out front, and then inside, it turns out behind a curtain. There's kind of pornography. Yes. But that's not how Oxfam works. That is, there's old books outside and you go in and there's old books. That's it. Um, so we thought, well, we can't do that, obviously. And then you think, oh, 
Well, we d- who do you know well enough? Now, maybe you do because you two are much younger than me. But I don't know anyone well enough that I go... I know what you you two are like, Tom and Barbara. Um, so yeah. we, we Do don't make use of these things. Would you like these um, sex toys Basket that I was given? None toys. of them have been used. Uh, and they think we can't. They, and we know some people quite well, but I still don't feel. I feel that would add either it would appear that we were suggesting something. And the next thing you know, the next party is an absolute disaster. Yeah. Spin the bottle again. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> right. And uh, and so it was. It was just this weird thing of what you, the hundreds of pounds worth. Of, of things so we put it in the shed for a while and then fortunately I spoke to Shappy called Sandy and she said she'd got there a little bit late and they didn't have any goodie bags for her so but then my wife said give it to her really quietly you know make sure no one sees and I went no I think it's really important that everyone does see because if I surreptitiously give Shappy called Sandy a dildo uh, uh, yeah <laughs> then, then people go I just walked in it was very embarrassing <laughs> <laughs> so I had to make quite, I, I was actually going to leave it on the stage before I was another thing but yeah, that's a weird. Because I think what you're saying now it is very much that's just what people do, isn't it? I, I have to say, I now feel slightly sorry for Shappy <laughs> that every time she's in for a bout of self pleasure, there's got to be just that oh, fleeting moment where she thinks of Robin. Well, do you Nobody know what? should have to suffer that. No, I don't think she would. No, I think she might. Well, I think she would if she listened to this. Now, I think you've placed that in there. Yeah. Yeah, I did say to my wife, I said, I'll tell you what, though, we won't get my son to make a little card for her saying he's a present, <laughs> because that, that would be a weird one. But no, that's, I, I find that an interesting thing there, which is, as you're saying, this is now just, it's just part of the course, isn't but it? It's I normal. don't think yeah. that's the case. I think that a lot of people just get on with it and don't feel, like, I used to be very sort of intimidated by what I saw as, like, you know, like, maybe like men being too influenced by porn or like pressure to be blah 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 and now I just feel like just quite comfortable just getting on with it I don't feel like there's any pressure you know but is that do you think a societal thing or just the fact that you got older possibly that I've well I don't think 23 I think the Spice Girls changed it for you didn't it Josie (laughs) Because you were 16 girl power began 12 you were not how were you 12 in 1994 were they started were they 1994 yeah I think hang on well, no, we won't. No, it Look does. It up. Do you know we what? Look it up. I reckon if they're listening and they're interested in when the Spice Girls began, they've picked the wrong podcast. <laughs> Do you know I've got some material exactly about the Spice Girls and about how before? Uh, oh, Des O'Connor it. Okay, right, here we go. Um, uh, <laughs> Josie, good to have you here. Thanks. And, um, of course, you're a comedian. And yeah. tell you something, you, you love women's rights, don't you? Do you what happened with the Spice Girls? Doesn't really. We've been with the Spice Girls. Is that a question? We've been with the Spice Girls. Some of that women's rights. Because what you do is, if you even go like that, it's going to sound like it. You know, might just be so you've got something on, and maybe you haven't. As opposed to you have got five minutes on this stick. <laughs> no, no, I don't even want to do it. It's just about how I sort of liken it to enduring the coalition because I'm like, I see the Spice Girls coming, and I was like, no, and then they were just there for like ten years, and I just had to endure it, even though I knew in advance that that was unacceptable. Yeah, and yeah, but there's a better punchline. I've got to know Emma Bunton a bit. I bet she's nice. She's so lovely. Sometimes I think about how Emma Bunton is still with the guy out of Damage, and they're really happy, and I just feel so happy about it. And do you know? Do you want to know about him? I bet he's nice. The loveliest man in the world. He's so lovely. What? Tell me more about Emma Bunton and and about. Well, she's just like incredibly normal. How awful is it that? I really want celebrity gossip about. I no, no, but normal. that's the thing. I don't have any gossip on any of them. It's just that. And she kept her tummy covered for the whole of the nineties. Good for her. Yeah. No. Of of all of them, I've met how many Spice Girls have I met? Mel C. <laughs> I haven't girls? met Victoria and I haven't met Jerry. Okay. But I met the other two. I met Mel B. Yeah. What's she like? Well, she's a bit LA now. So, like, you talk to her, you know, like, sometimes you meet people and they've had so much media training that you think, I could just start bouncing coins off your head and you just sort of fix a sort of demi-smile. 
and kind of gently nod. It's a bit that. So are you, um, is, when did you But I think was, was for this... what it's worth, sorry, with the thing with Mel B is, I think that's because when, you, you know when they say to people, you know the best thing, just be yourself. I think that she's got an army of people saying under no circumstances <laughs> do that. <laughs> So you, we still really dealt with the facetious nature of comedians and actors. We've we've we've, we've gone off. Is that uh, what we're well, dealing with today? No, not necessarily. I'm no, very happy to answer that. So, so what was Josh, the topic you got more questions. No, no. Well, it was kind of about the fact that Rufus thinks that stand-up's really easy and oh, waste okay. of his time. Um, and uh, no, I know that. Look, the thing is, if you go to drama school and I didn't, then what you're taught is that. Um, there's a way of finding a character and even things like how you stand, like there's this neutral stance and you learn to walk totally neutrally so that when you create this character, the character has a walk. You know that with actors, you can really see an actor because of their posture and the way they hold yes. themselves. Yes, well, the posture is all to do with voice, OK? And again, I only know this because I've started doing stuff for The National and they're like, yeah, you're going to need to be taught some things because you're not going to get through this. If, if, you know, if, you just, if you just go on as you, that's not going to work. So you need to start coming in with months to go <laughs> and we'll try and get you to some sort of standard. But it's basically that line of where the air comes out of the lungs over the vocal cords, that is how you're going to project your voice. Mm. So that posture is all to do with being heard. It then becomes about neutrality of posture so that then your character has a walk and a physicality that isn't just you in a, in a hat, you know. That's a good character. <laughs> well, listen, I loved, I loved you in a hat in that good thing. Character. <laughs> um, I, my character, but, if I try and do characters, it's just me putting on a voice. So what voice did you do when you were in Skins as the careers advisor? I did this voice. Can you right. hear it? Yeah. And that character was called Josie Long. Now, have <laughs> you done any characters that have not also had that voice yet? Yeah, I do. I do one that's you like... You Beehive. Was it called Beehive? No, no, we did one called uh, Girl Fridays. It was actually... I was really proud of it, and it was such a shame that we didn't make it into a series. No, do hang on, that's voice. not true. You yes, did. I what did was the sketch you did no, with... Be, the Beehive one with Sarah, Sarah Kendall, etc. I wasn't did in go, that one. That, no. That she, did go not in that. No, but I like the idea I've got, I've I've got such a memory of you being in you there. You think it'd be a Please say, yes, she's really good. I mean, she is amazing. No, I thought it was... I really thought I like Sarah this moment Pascoe. now, Rufus. Which one of the girl comics are you? Are you the one that does the funny songs? <laughs> or are you the angry one? No, it's one? not that. It's that I would, I would honestly bet my house that you were in that. I mean, I only saw You could bet your house with me, because I, I don't know. have a house. Yeah. Right, can we stop here, though, and just say that nowadays when Rufus says, I would bet my house, it doesn't mean as much, because he's got so many. The, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that has changed. With his, uh, um, the, uh, so, yeah, in terms of now that you, you, you are doing acting, and you said you did the film, you did uh, Big Fat can Gypsy I, Wedding. So answer the question just in case anybody because you asked it four times and just in case anybody is interested in that there is a difference between this is not how the podcast works is it not <laughs> no no please oh. do <laughs> sorry have I, have I broken the format shambles shambles, shambles. yeah sorry no because it is it was interesting to me at least so I think it's interesting but it may very well not be that <clears throat> my experience of it was that actors who went to drama school or spent three years with everyone basically being on them as like, ha, 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 that's not a real thing. You're just there to fanny about for three years. And, and actually, it's very hard. They have to, like, start at 8am or whatever and they finish at 6pm and they do really, really intense, demanding physical and mental stuff all day. And that's it. It's like a job. Yeah. Which is a little bit unfair because it's one of the things they very rarely <laughs> yeah, get. Yeah. When they graduate, <laughs> they just don't get... Um, so, so they have to work incredibly hard. They have to take it incredibly seriously. And if you go to a rubbish drama school, 
you know, you may as well not have gone. But if you go to a really good one, then they drill you. You know, it's 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 a genuinely demanding um, thing. And and frankly, I I didn't go to university either, but I did live at a university, uh, and not a particularly good one. And seeing how those students ran their affairs versus how drama students having to do what they do, I would say that drama students work harder. And what value you then place on the skills they accrue is entirely your own business. But they work incredibly hard. So when you turn up as Jimmy Jokes, who's basically spent, you know, 10 years in pubs and just saying what you want and there's no fourth wall and there's no real discipline to it in the way that they have had to learn to be disciplined... I think it's it's troubling for them if you're then in a scene with them and you get a big laugh or you are given a really sad moment that the audience responds to because they're looking at you going but you're not doing it right you're not you're not doing the things and you walk like you and your voice isn't projecting to the back of the room well it's only a small room yeah but what if it wasn't yeah but it is yeah but what if it wasn't and I think there's an irritation that comes from people who've worked incredibly hard to get where they are and you swan in equally, exactly as you say. Sometimes it's just like, stand there, say this, and then they need like two hours of conversation as to why that would be. Now, I also worked on this film with Dame Harriet Walter and she had to deliver a speech at her daughter's wedding. I'm doing air inverted commas, uh, at her daughter's wedding, to basically crew and extras, and we'd all read it and we all knew it. And the first time she did it, everybody cried. Oh. Because it was just so you... For, for being in this marquee, regardless of the cameras and the crew and all of that, you felt like you were listening to a mother make a daughter's speech, right? And so they call done there, and everybody stands and applauds because it's just so incredibly well played by her. And then obviously we have to do it again, so she does it again, and everybody cried again. She's brilliant, though. Because she's just absolutely remarkable. And with her, there was never an hour's conversation. I don't understand why I would do this. Because she's just that good. But also, she's been doing it so long that she's like... She's got got it now. She knows how it works now. Uh, I stupidly brought up her appearance in Hour of the Pig. I did a thing with her once. Right. Hour of the Pig, which is an amazing film. I'm sure we'll mention it on almost every podcast. It's about the trial of a pig for murder in medieval France during uh, the plague years. Brilliant. And... uh, and I was it was the time that I brought up with Nicky Henson. We started talking about Witchfinder General and Psychomania, which is the Hell's Angels come back to life uh, as um, killing zombies, and George Sanders has to kill them with Beryl <sighs> Reed with the magic frog. I think that's roughly how it works. It's probably the reason George Sanders killed himself. Apparently, he said, I've, "I've done everything now," and killed himself because he thought there was nothing left to do. Had he just done a Hell's Angels he movie? He didn't even know about the internet. Magic frog, and um, the. Uh, yeah, and I brought up Out of the Pig, and I went, oh, you were brilliant, Out of the Pig. And I thought, oh, no, she's topless in that. Now it looks like... You know that bit where you overanalyze <laughs> everything? Yeah. I thought you were really good, uh, you know, person being tortured as a witch. And, oh, no, I've brought up... And then you think, should I bring up her? No, not because he had to take you... Oh, what? Shut up! Shut up! <laughs> no, she... But that's the interesting... The acting thing where... I, I once did a thing where we had to audition lots of actors, and when you see someone like Harriet Walter, you do really believe it. You just go, yeah. and as you said, the emotion of it is fantastic. It's like when you when you hear really great actors reading poetry, and you go, "Wow, the meaning of it!" Yes, but it seems to me it's a bit like when you watch something like The X Factor, and you watch lots of people and they sing do all that, but they don't sing the words. No, they sing some words, yeah, and they don't get the meaning of the song. And in the same way, I once had to audition some actors, and it seemed to me that the majority of uh, women, right, their audition piece would be this. They do something where they talk really sexually. 
You know, he's touching me. He's touching my tits. He's, uh, his hand's going down, right? Like this, going, because I can do that. I can talk about it. And the men would predominantly do bits where they were really angry and sad and you don't understand me. And that was like them going, see, I can act. Yeah. And yet the hardest thing of acting is doing the thing where it's just very low key and yeah. you believe it. Yeah. That's why I think comedians can get away with it in sort of on film because on film it's so much closer. So you do sort of, you can just... Well, the, the the film that I, uh, I I don't mean to keep banging on about this film, but if I had loads of other stuff that I'd done, I'd be able to relate it to like. And then there was this other time, but it we is will be talking about your Paddy McGuinness. Uh, yeah, please, uh, please, pa- please, panel please. show shortly. What's um, this? Right. You're on take me out. We're on take me out. Let the roofers see the house. Let the roofers see the doofus. The. Oh, it was just less. The note that Nigel Cole gave me all the time was less. Just less. It's verite. But I just want you to. I would just want you to say it. You know. <laughs> you think I'm going to really act this? There's a couple of like big moments in my character of like realization and where things change and stuff. And he'd always just coming up. No. <laughs> Do you know one of the tricks for that? Way less. Is a lot of people when they start acting during big moments, what they do is they play uh, an early 80s Simple Minds song in their head. Right. As if they're in a John Hughes movie. Okay. Remove the Simple Minds. Okay. Put a nocturne in instead. Oh. Just a little bit of advice. <laughs> nocturne in your head, yeah. stone in your shoe to help with an idiosyncratic walk to show you're acting. <laughs> Very good. Um, <laughs> no, I think that's because some. I mean, there are there are comedians who are, are wonderful. I mean, Max Wall was, of course, a fascinating uh, actor as well, and did, yep. did a lot of Beckett and uh, Norman Wisdom once did this this really moving piece about being an elderly man in hospital. But I find that I quite like some comedians that when they when they act, what they do is they just make everything soft because right. it means they're. Doing some acting, yes, because that's how actors talk. Yeah. <laughs> so will yeah. you be doing that? No. In a, uh, what's no. it? I keep forgetting that because I keep wanting to call you a servant of two masters, but you're doing. Yeah, well, that's uh, the thing. Isn't yeah, it, it, it is. It, it is based it, on servant it, of two masters, and it is. Uh, what's it? it? It's uh, two governors. Uh, one man, two governors. One man, two governors. And it is really good. I mean, it is a really, really strong production, mm. but it's it's just funny. So weirdly. The question that you sort of asked at the very beginning of all of this is with your comedian's head. Are you like, I'll just get on with it, just yeah, yeah. fall over, right? It's it's a really conscious move that I'm trying to make of um, being less cynical and trying to do things and create things that are in themselves less cynical. Because what I found was when I was trying to write stand-up, that is all I had. And that etymological root of um, cynicism and cyanide being the same thing. It's, I, I really felt that poison. And then at the beginning of this year, I had some time off where I was going to work out what my plan was. And my plan became rapidly <laughs> mentally falling apart. Because I just couldn't analyse everything to work out what, what was the right moral thing to do. And I interviewed Bo Burnham at the end of... Well, the middle of last year, I used to do this show on Radio 4 Extra where we interviewed uh, comedians. And um, he said, my grandfather was literally a ditch digger and at the end of a month would maybe have a few dollars left over for a night out and occasionally would go and see a comedian. And are you telling me that just because that man hadn't read the books that I read, he's he's not allowed to have a laugh? Or that when he comes out, you know, I should be telling him where the world's going wrong? Because he spent the month digging a ditch. So instead, what he wants is to come out, have a few laughs and a beer, and just, like, 
step outside of, of the reality of being a ditch digger. Yeah, but, but also, I think it doesn't mean that he doesn't necessarily want to engage no, it, with like higher things. Like, if you look at all, I'm like, not, so just to clarify that point, I'm not saying it does, but I got that point that actually you can't talk down to people. You, well, you can't talk down to. I mean, I, you know, I handed out flyers to the Liberal Democrats at the last election. I know, I can hear you. I'm sorry for you, yeah, you poor I thing. I know, it's been hard. You must feel very betrayed. I, I feel very, uh, I feel very mixed uh, about that. But um, for, for, for whatever the reasons were for doing that, my point was... Because well, you thought they were probably not going to be like complete and utter sellouts. No, I know, I appreciate if you're a Lib Dem listening to you, you should be like, actually, they've been very balancing to the coalition. And I appreciate they have done some of that. But with the whole NHS bill, no, I just think it's not All of those things are true. And the thing well, is... Well, it would have been point, much worse. Well, it's still worse. So. It's still worse. And that's, that's troubling. But I do think that at the very least... That, I think why I feel sad about the Liberal Democrats is that the reason I was most keen that people vote for them was I realised that Labour was owned and that the Tories were owned. So you were just, it was basically, which set of owners of these political parties do you want running the country? For me personally, if you've got two million people walking through the streets of London saying no war for oil, and then we've still got ground troops in Iraq, like, I can't vote for you again as as a political party. Obviously, I couldn't vote Conservative. And yet, suddenly, there was this debate, and then Nick Clegg and everybody was like, maybe the Liberal Democrats. And the interesting thing was that because nobody thought they would ever get power, they didn't have any owners. They could have been the first political party in sort of modern political history to have been elected by people with a genuine mandate for free higher education, scrapping Trident. And frankly, after that, they'd have just had to make it up as they went along based on what they thought people actually wanted. Mm. So it's the failure of the Lib Dems which has made you give up stand-up. (laughs) <laughs> it was a side conversation but it was but yeah, it so, was so the, the thing that I realised in terms of going I went into uh, basically when you turn up quite late in the day and say yeah I'll hand out some flyers what they do is they give you all the areas that nobody else wants to go to because you don't know any better so I was going to housing estates around the back of Heathrow um, and trying to convince people to vote Lib Dem with exactly those sorts of points and I just realised that when you turn up in your suit and you're like trying to have a chat with people, they've already made their mind up and they don't want you coming around and sort of lecturing them. So there's a bit of that, that if you actually want people, if you want to be able to relay your message to people, coming in as higher than somebody is kind of nonsense. Then there was this thing about cynicism. The DVD that I wrote last year had jokes that I'd written over the course of like a six-year emceeing career and then I just infused all of that with how lost and hopeless I felt and then that sort of became the tone of the show was I don't know what I'm doing I don't think I'm good enough to be doing this all I feel really is angry that's a bit like my show this year is it yeah but then uh, at the end I'm like surprise it's Uh, all right okay (laughs) well not really but yeah, you see, I've just done this well, play. I'm, I'm still a little business. bit confused then by your giving up of, uh, or for the time being, because you don't ever know. You may well. No, no, I, well. I do see but it as a. Was it, was it mainly than... though that right? I'll put things into that. First is, you know, when you were playing, because you, you were playing some tough clubs, and did you find that perhaps you were looking at the audience and thinking, oh, not these people again. And you were doing not doing the stuff that actually because you, you're you're talking about being highfalutin, but actually I know that some of the things you you would go out and just think, oh, I've got to do this because I've just got you know, get them going and then I will bring the act on. Yeah, um, oh, it's complicated. 
which is why it was badly reported in the press that you thought stand-up was easy and you were just giving it up, I yeah. presume. It's because it's complicated. But that's why I would... Because I think, you know, I, I know that, I you know, stand-up's not... I'm not particularly good at stand-up and it's kind of what I do is uh, now is slightly different and it's doing, you know, kind of... Uh, you know, I've got... I, I've I found out things that I really like and that I want to... I mean, sure. you know, it's like Josie, you know, the, the, uh, without sharing, not the, the first bit about not being particularly good at stand-up, but the bit about what you want to do is you want to share uh, ideas. That's yeah. one form of stand-up is to go is to be, and I think also as Josie was saying about talking down to. I still haven't seen it. That Grace and Perry TV show that was done about class, and, and my friend Neil Edmond said what was so wonderful about it was he's wandering around Sunderland on a pissed-up Friday night in in the full kind of Grace and Perry yeah, uh, pink you know, dress, hearts. dress, and what he's doing is when he's asking people questions, is he's not talking down to them. He's actually using the language he would talk to with anyone uh, about the idiosyncratic nature of the shipbuilding, blah blah blah, and because. Was he talking about that? He was saying that people were replying this kind of, I hadn't really thought of it like that before. But you know, when you think about the kind of the nature of what, and that they then can rise yeah. up as well yeah. and go, Oh, you're not just talking down and go, go, Oh, no, you're a drunk person in the street. Please give me some kind of soundbite that I can use on tap. That, that's another way that you can. And I, th- I think there's, mm-hmm. there's this great story years ago when Monty Python started on the BBC and they were very worried that they were going a little bit too far and I can't remember who the controller was at the time and they said, do you think we're going too far? And they said, oh, don't worry about it. We should always be one step ahead. And I think that across the arts is we should be trying to push people uh, and, and go, also, you might like this. Yeah. Not, not going, well, I, you'll definitely like this, so I'll give you this. Was, yeah, the risk. But also you have to be honest and you have to, like, it has to feel genuine. So it's treating people with the same respect you would give your friends or give, you know, other people. It's going, well, this is who I am. This is the register that I try and speak at, you know. And luckily for me, that's a really low, sweary register anyway, so it's totally fine. But, like, <laughs> but it's exactly that. It's respecting people by going, this is what I'm genuinely interested in. I'm not going to pretend, you know. Well, it's does the great comedy come from honesty? And I think that's it's about being honest, isn't yeah. it, really? yeah. Um, well, doing something that you, you actually uh, not going. I'll tell you what I think people like, but actually going. Well, this is what I hope people like. Well, is no, that, so, is that this it? is the other thing: is you you don't. I mean, so I, my model of comedy is artist versus entertainer on this huge seesaw, and the artist walks out and says, well, I, "I'm sorry, I'll start that the other way around." That on one end of the spectrum, you've got the entertainer who walks out in front of the audience and thinks, what do I have to do to make these people enjoy themselves? And the artist walks out and thinks, I am only going to do what I am here to do. I'm only going to perform my art. But, you know, the way that I see it... Well, I'm sorry, I'm just now thinking that that is going to be brilliant if we all just did shows to singular people on a seesaw that the entertainer is always on one side and you just have a little queue of people and they come in, you do ten minutes of gags on a seesaw up and down. So even if the people haven't enjoyed your show, they've had a lovely go on a seesaw. A lovely go on a seesaw, yeah. that's it. Um, so the point is about that is it's a spectrum. And so it, it's it's where in that spectrum do you fall? And for me, somebody like Simon Munnery is the probably the, as close as you'll get to that purity of, enter, uh, of, of artist, where I've seen him... I, I, I saw him 10 years ago, 15 years ago, play this university gig that, where I went to this university gig a lot and it was always terrible. There were only like three acts who ever did well there and we saw... I mean, fifty. Which university nights. was it? Uh, Brunel. It was the, the Brunel. Oh, I died on my ass there. Uh, yeah, the I Brunel. Died really hard there. Uh, Uxbridge campus. Oh, Brunel used that. to. Oh, you would see me die there then, I imagine. Because um, I, I remember it started off, it, it was a great gig. <clears throat> 
and then it suddenly went downhill. Yeah. And you came back. I remember um, Simon Day, I was doing it with him, and he went, look, we'll just get straight in the car and meet you after. He said, it never works. I don't know what I'm doing. He said, as long as I'm doing the catchphrases, they're fine. And then the moment I go off the cat, So he would no, say, but I saw and him. he'd suddenly go, uh, people just going, and then he'd go, oh, the lemons. Hey! Oh, no. Anyway, now I'm a... I saw him die, die there. Because oh, maybe it was that, the get, get it was, it, was a few, it didn't go well. A few years after the fast show, maybe. Or, or maybe yeah, 18 not months long after, after the fast I mean, show. It would probably but, still, yeah. But the kids that were there just hadn't, you know, weren't there for him. They were there because there's a comedy thing on. Yeah. So the catchphrases didn't have any resonance oh. with those people at all. And Billy Bleach and um, what was the one he did, the music hall uh Oh, okay, yes, to the historian. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, wonderful character. Frank Pebbles, isn't he? Yeah. Oh, no, he is brilliant. He had a radio voice. We literally went straight into the car afterwards. It just. No, let's get out of here. Anyway, where was I going with this? The Uxbridge. So you saw lots of people die. You're talking about Simon Munnery. You saw Simon Oh, Simon Munnery. I saw Simon Munnery die there as the League Against Tedium. And I. Just sort of ran up to him. And was like, oh, you know, I'm really sorry about this. Like these people don't really—they're not really kind of comedy fans. But you should know you're amazing. And and he was utterly untroubled by what had just gone on. Utterly untroubled by it. Was kind of used to it. I think sort of walks around sort of expecting that, you know. But every a lot of it's not going like to work after a while. Like I find if I have a bad show now. Oh, yeah, no, but I'm sort I of think wrecked, it depends on the, the situation. I think I, I sometimes, you know, there's times where I can have a good show but still walk off furious because I know it could have been better because they were the yeah, right yeah, people. Well, that's why I quit stand-up. Yeah, it's a really... That's the hardest thing is you have to... If, unless you have a very methodical uh, pattern, you know, really... I mean, there's some some people that I, I think are... or No one is truly bulletproof, I think, unless they're banal. But there are some people who are nearly bulletproof and people that you, when you watch, you just think, that's so... Spe-. It's like whenever if I when I watch Johnny Vegas or Daniel Kitson or people like that, I just go, why am I doing this? Because yeah. you watch something that is... It's 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 wonderful, it's brilliant, it's, it's immediate... Um, but there's when you sorry, just going back to the um, yeah, there was one time where when you go, this is my art, and on this tour that I've been doing now, I played a really it was a Scottish village, it wasn't even a town. It turned out there was right. like two shops, and uh, and I walked on and I started doing my show about science, and then I thought, no, I'm gonna now do a show which is just everything that I've done in the last five years. And I had some of my stupid books. So I did like a three-hour show. But it's the only time, nearly every other time, when I, well, when, on this tour, if I stand on stage, I think, right, I have to do the thing. I'm doing a show about science. It's yes. about happiness and science. I love talking about science. I've got hours and hours of this stuff. And this was the first time that I thought, no, I'm in such a small town that these people have come for. Uh, right. I, there's, no, there's nothing else here. It's 45 <clears> minutes <throat> from the nearest station. Uh, it would be wrong of me. Yeah. On this occasion. Yeah. Whereas when I played a little Dorset town and I thought, I've sold too many. If I've sold this many, there are definitely people who've come to the wrong show. Right. And they were the ones who, a lot of them had seen Jim Davidson because he did my slot the month before. And, um, you know, when you see it sometimes with the kind of shows I do, when I see too many people bringing helium balloons in saying, I'm 40, I yeah. go, oh. This might be not always wrong. I'm not against helium balloons, no. but I very much like you know the reaction between hydrogen and uh, you know the, the the whole nature of how how the sun remains uh, you know so and warming for us. I'm a big 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 fan of helium. Um, the sun is a mass of incandescent gas, a gigantic nuclear furnace where hydrogen is built into helium at a temperature of billions of degrees. So they might be giants. B side. Oh, f- <laughs> is that for the? No, it's not. 
That's a, that, that's a wonderful collection of science songs that they've done as well. But that's that's another thing in the stand-up, isn't it? Is when you have to sometimes make a choice, which is not to do things that I think you would be uh, ethically or morally against you, but maybe go, well, I was going to do this show, but I've looked at this particular audience and I think it's, it's only that, fair because of the environment. Does that come That is only the not? same... That is, I would argue, only the same mechanism that I fell foul of at the Comedia in Brighton... 18 months ago, two years ago, I can't remember now. But um, on at a late show, walk out, and I'm just doing my kind of like, and here's another thing, routine, <clears throat> because I haven't remembered that it's a late show on a Saturday night and that people are drunk and, you know, they've come for a laugh. And me kind of trying to be esoteric and use, you know, use try and say as much with the pauses as you are with the words mm. just begins failing. And it fails so quickly that I end up just walking off. Which, you know, hasn't happened for a long time. Of course, then three people at that show immediately post on the <laughs> But <laughs> you know Well that's you just the other don't problem. Look... Yeah. It's so oh, no, brilliant. No. It's such a great thing. I, like with things like that, like I just go people go, oh, Would you see on the I'm like, No. No. I didn't see. I stopped looking at it when um uh, posted this thing the day after the end of Edinburgh, which was like, it's official, women aren't as funny as men, with a picture of me as the, like, leader yeah. for it. And it was, like, three days after I'd been, like, nominated for the Comedy Awards, so it's a bit of a kick in the... needless kick in the teeth. But you wasn't know. he... I would imagine knowing Steve was, not like, very well. He hilarious, jokey, uh, jokey comparison. Basically, they went through all their reviews and went, we've given worse reviews to women than men, therefore women must be worse than men. And it was like... That's not wonderfully scientific as no. a system. That might say more about you than it does about women. I would argue, at least, though, in terms of that, that there's a slight tongue-in-cheekness because... Yeah, I know, but it's tiring. I can't oh, be no. doing with that. Especially and especially, especially that... when it's a big picture of your face, which are like, women aren't funny. I'm like, oh, no thanks, mate. Yeah. See ya. No, that debate I'd as well as a female comic of... is must get so it's deeply tedious. But so did you I'd read Rob Delaney's at... thing about it recently? No. Oh, Google it. Is it good? Rob Delaney, women aren't funny. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. Well, there was a good thing yesterday, though. There was, or obviously not yesterday for people who are listening now, but there was a thing in the newspaper about the fact that women seem to have higher IQs than men. Now, of course, actually, IQ and tests they like the are... tests must be flawed. Well, that's it. The, the, well, IQ tests <laughs> are extremely debatable, mm. but that doesn't matter. The fun of seeing really angry men going, well, this is typical of the fact that we live now in a, a world entirely controlled by women, which we do as long as you don't use evidence as your benchmark. <laughs> of it. And, and I like that moment that when you get that weird thing that you know, normally, I'm sure some of those men were going. No, I, I do actually see that there is a racial difference in IQs. That's very good. Women are not with that IQ test. And actually, it's like, I was thinking the other day, someone that I once argued with about um, uh, climate change, and they said, you know, we've really got to wait until we really know. And I went, well, sometimes you've just got to go. Well, 98 percent of climate scientists think this, and it seems we should do something. And that they are often uh, the same people. This person in particular who went, you know, with with terrorism act, it's just that sometimes you just can't take the risk. And you go, hang on, yeah. make your mind up. Look, are we going to go, right, we can't take the risk, and that means then doing something, uh, you yeah. know, major about climate change, and then you can also have your, your rule there and going, he did look at an odd way, yeah. and he had a bag that was all... You know the way that sometimes bags can look bomb-lumpy? <laughs> it looked bomb-lumpy as a bag, you know. But this is going back again to the, the, the stand-up thing, which is where do you, you know, that decision, because in one way I'm just out there to entertain, is sometimes I think with modern clubs there are people just sit back and they go, right, 
great entertainment. And you think, well, when you go and see something, when you go and see anything, when you go and see a play, when you go and see stand-up, when you go and see a band, I think there is an acceptance that also you should expect the audience to lean forward and go, I am reasonably open also. Mm. To, well, so look, what's the balance the, there? I would suggest I'm sat in a room with Robin Ince and Josie Long. And that if that's correct, if, if you, that is a that is a correct si- suggestion. If there are two empiricism rules. <laughs> if there are two people, I would suggest are demonstrably working. <laughs> I was worried that you were going to be too highbrow about us. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Uh, well, no, but who have demonstrably sort of taken a different route with comedy? Oh, then I would think that the two of you are probably it. Um, that what you have seek to sort, even, what you have sought to do, you know, you're saying that you don't do stand-up very well and now your shows aren't really stand-up. But you've got to that by dint of being a stand-up comedian. Can That's I been your, say... your process has been to be a stand-up comedian and do loads of other things besides. And now you're at this other point where you kind of self-define what you do not as stand-up. You are a stand-up comedian... And uh, in the same way that I would humbly suggest Stuart Lee refers to himself as a stand-up comedian, because when people say, is what you do really stand-up, though, or is it performance art? He's like, up your bum. It, I'm a stand-up comedian. There's something noble in doing this that. This is what I really think but about stand-up. But you've built the people who want to come and see you. Like I've had conversations with you where you've played um, clubs, like oh, just yeah. Saturday night clubs. And you'll you'll be the first to say, I don't know why I do them. I die on my hole. They don't like me. I don't know why I'm there. Yeah, I try really hard, though. But I don't do them anymore because I would rather perform my shows and try and round up a crowd to see my shows right. on my terms. But, but what I hang on, wait, let me just finish this one point. No, no, I know your point will be more interesting. I'll finish this one point, no, no, which is that... For all of the people out there who refer to themselves as stand-up comedians, you've got your handful... Well, you've probably got three handfuls now that are doing theatre tours. You've got a handful that are doing arenas. And actually, the thousands, and maybe only a few thousands below that, who would say they are a professional comedian, are playing those clubs. Yeah, and that's really, really hard, I think. And those clubs are full of people who have paid their money to laugh in the company of others in a way that the people who you have... Gallantly, heroically. Uh, no, but but you've built your crowds to come to your shows. You've found the people who do want to lean forward, to to be to to, to have some sort of mental nutrition. Whereas actually, that isn't true of the majority no. of businesses, businesses that are okay, built yeah. to provide mm. product to customers. Yeah, I think definitely those businesses condition people. But I would say that most people, all they need is a certain type of compare or a certain type of room. Uh, and most audiences, I mean, not if everyone is completely pissed up and everyone is part of a party, but I think most audiences, if they were groups of smaller groups, if they have the right compare, could be open to anything. And if they have the right uh, room set up, almost. But wh- all I was going to say about. But those rooms are small like, rooms, are they not? It's about intimacy. No, no, no. I don't no, think it I is. Don't, I, I think it's I just think about. No, no, I'm asking. But, 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 yeah. This is what I think about comedy. And like saying I'm a stand up is my opinion of stand up comedy is that it is a massively diverse genre and that what's so wonderful about it is it's anything you can get away with. It's like the term art. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like It's like visual art, you know. It's like 
anything you can get away with if you mean it is stand-up to yeah. me. And that's what I think is so wonderful. And I think that you can really have both things. You can be really stupid and really, really artistic and muck- and you can really engage the crowd and really step away from the crowd all within, you know, an hour, all within 10 minutes and stuff. But I'd also say, like, I think it is very... I have lots of friends who are stand-ups who, uh, like, struggle more than I do... In terms of having to do clubs that they don't feel comfortable doing, and I feel like lucky every day that I've managed not to have to do that at the moment. Like, but I also think that like, what's great about licensing laws in this country is that anyone could set up a gig above a pub, and if they run that, and if they run it, you know, just their own gig, yeah, that can be almost a living if you're really, really thrifty about it. And then if you start doing that, you know, maybe you run a few gigs above pubs that you do. I mean, it's tiring, but like you can find a way to build your own crowd and you can find a way to do your own path and especially more now than ever in terms of like Twitter and, mm-hmm. and YouTube subscribers, like things like that. You really can do it a certain way, but it just involves not compromising. One thing I was going to say in terms of all of the things that we've discussed in sort of comedy is that I've realised as well that you, it was interesting because you said it's like you can use the word comedy like you use the word art. Well, of course, art would include comedy. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. But, but I mean, no, I know that's not what you meant. Sorry. No, no, I know that isn't what you meant. But it, that's the interesting thing to me is that I increasingly saw parallels between comedy and music. Now, you do have jazz and you do have electro and you do have hip hop. And, you know, whereas with stand up, it's sort of that we've got this idea where there is stand up yeah and I, and where are the other clubs you know where's the where's the little speakeasy playing kind of obscure you know mid 40s jazz mate, in the world of stand up I'll give you the where's password the... mate yeah, okay, yeah, right, we got we got to round up loads. anyway but, but it's, yeah, it's that thing it's is just that tricky. things may not always be for you could I'll give you the final word Josh don't you worry by the way just so it's interesting that you're doing uh one man two governors which in fact the uh the the playwright uh I was in the same heat of so you think you're funny in Edinburgh when he was a stand up when he was Dickie Bean and is now Richard Bean because Richard Bean is a better name for a playwright than Dickie, <laughs> Dickie Bean, Bean but Dickie yeah. Bean's a better stand up name but that's interesting you know that there he 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 was funny and I did lots of gigs with him but he went oh stand up's not really quite and then instead has become a critically revered uh, playwright taking things to Broadway where some stand-ups probably going do you know what annoys me about him he hasn't really done his time on his on the circuit <laughs> to start yeah. doing the National Theatre <laughs> um, but I think that's the th- thing with you know it eats itself up and in the end there's lots you know it's a bit like getting snotty about some of the observational comments I think I, I don't really mind no, no I, I just... never get annoyed about other comics because they're on the team like yeah, they yeah. understand what it's like to be the a comic the International Brotherhood of Mike Spitters <laughs> damn straight yeah. But, like, totally. And I don't see it as a division. Like, I always find it funny when people go to me, like, oh, but you don't like nasty comics. And I'm like, why would I not? I, I like good. I like anyone that I think is good. Or oh, that was my point. Sorry, you've reminded me. So, that parallel with music. And then there's that quote by Duke Ellington that there's only two kinds of music good and bad. And I think that's what you get with comedy. There's only two kinds good and bad. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. There's, there's two kinds of comedy. There's the comedy you like and there's the comedy you, you don't like. Rubbish. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's the two kinds. Yeah, and um, that's true for everyone. You are listening to an edited version of Josie and Robin's Utter Shambles. You can also hear a full version of the uh, conversation. that I don't know if you'd want to, but it's quite an interesting... Is that going to include it, the part where you talk about sexually abusing that ocelot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the ocelot's in there, of course. Wow. Well, what's the point in not? It's my, my Edinburgh show is based around that. You know, some ocelots have to die. Some for like it ocelot. Come on. Some like it ocelot. How do yeah. you titillate an ocelot? <laughs> Oscillate its tits a lot. <laughs>
very nice. So you can hear more things like that in the uh, full version on the website. And the website is uh, www.comedycentral.co.uk forward slash podcast forward slash podcast.